Hey guys, before we get into the episode, you all know I'm a huge fan of fashion and I have been ever since I was a little girl. And my first job, by the way, was actually at Macy's. And my love for fashion began when I started there because I worked in the fragrance department, but of course my eye was always on the clothes and the makeup and everything related to style. But here's the thing, my relationship with Macy's didn't end once my days of asking people walking by if they wanted a sample of the latest scents came to an end. Nearly 20 years later, I still find myself choosing Macy's time and time again for literally everything. It's become a really beautiful full circle moment that they've been such amazing supporters of our show for so long. And when it comes to shopping, they have everything you need, whether I need a last minute outfit or Kevin needs a last minute outfit for our friend's wedding. We always head to Macy's. They've got us covered. So if you're in need of some retail therapy, perhaps, or looking to spruce up your home or your lifestyle, check out Macy's friends. I've curated a list of some of my favorite items that have helped me upgrade so many parts of my life, really my fashion the most, but of course home and baby and so much more. So check the link in the description and happy shopping Hill Squad. I remember my mom always struggling with her hair. It's Frizi Maria, my mom would say in her Greek accent. Tiehis, what do you have? I tried so hard to find her products. I wish I could share these products I'm using now with her because I know she would be so happy to finally have good hair days. I've always believed that hair is a woman's best accessory. And with Way's new anti-frizz cream, you can ensure that your hair always looks its best without the frizz stealing the spotlight. It's a lightweight cream that not only provides immediate frizz control, but also helps prevent heat damage. And get this, it lasts up to 72 hours. That's three whole days of frizz-free, gorgeous hair. Way seriously has some of my favorite products for taming the frizz. Pro tip, one of my biggest discoveries is using the Way hair oil on the ends of my hair before I dry it. Let me tell you, it's a game changer. Once it's dry, my hair looks so smooth and polished. I don't even need to do anything else. It is incredible. I love it. Frizz free up your schedule with Way. Go to the Way, T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com and enter the promo code Heel Squad for 15% off any product. That's the Way, T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com, promo code Heel Squad. Trust me, you won't regret it. Coming up on today's Better Together. You cannot dismiss an emotion and get it to go away. I don't know a way to do that. You cannot reject an emotion and get it to go away. The child within you felt angry at her mom because of everything that happened. And you get to meet that child. And what we did, and when she went there, she was like, she was present with this younger version of her inside here that was full of bitterness, being full of like feeling that what happened to her wasn't fair. So she needed to meet that younger version of her to really be in the presence of the anger, the resentment that was there, to give herself permission to really shift that, to feel that, to be present with all of that, and to really anchor a new perspective at that deep of a level, which is, I'm sorry mom wasn't there. I'm sorry she couldn't help us the way we needed. I'm sorry we didn't have that childhood that we wanted. But I am here now, meaning her, the adult self, and I usually like to give that perspective, the adult self talking to the child within being like, I'm sorry, this didn't really happen for us. I'm sorry you feel all this rage and all of this anger and it's justified. There is nothing wrong with it. And right now we get to create something different. 
I'm on a journey to get better and I want to do it with you. And I'm not just focusing on physical health. I'm focusing on everything, emotional wellness, spirituality, finances, relationships, and so much more. Every week, it will be my personal goal to bring us, the world's leading healers, experts, and game changers to share groundbreaking secrets and tips to getting better in all areas of life. Getting better isn't easy, but it's a whole lot easier when we can do it together. Welcome to Better Together with me, Maria Menounos. It is a privilege to hear your story. Be careful who you grant that privilege to. Hey, everybody. Better Together with Maria Menounos. I am not Maria Menounos, of course. I'm Mr. Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro. And today we are going to uh, bring you part two of our incredible Xavier Dagba uh, interview. If you've not seen part one, a little reminder that Xavier is a trauma-informed transformational life coach, shadow work facilitator, and intuitive healer who likes to think of himself as an emotional alchemist, a beautiful, wise, and evolved soul. Xavier encourages us to lead from our heart, not our wounds. We discovered Xavier on Instagram where his following is far too modest considering how truly profound, advanced, and helpful this teacher is. Destined to become one of the great philosophers and healers of our century, Better Together in the Heal Squad, welcome you back to part two of our interview with Xavier Dagba. Can we then move to, if it's okay, to narcissism? Because I feel like that is an epidemic. Really <laughs> of epidemic proportions. And again, I think I can see now from back to trauma-informed perspectives in our childhoods, I feel like that's what's what led to it. Can you speak to narcissism? Absolutely. And, um, you know, in my experience, um, what I can say about and, um, you know, there is a part of me that is kind of a little bit rebelling against labels. And I, I honor that. I want to take ownership for that fully. Okay. And the, the other thing that I want to say about narcissism, I want to say first, I almost see everything that we label, um, that we use a label for has a spectrum. I see love has a spectrum. I see narcissism has a spectrum. I see being an empath has a spectrum. Some people can be very high on that spectrum. And then they get to the point where they are labeled um, NPD, um, narcissistic personality disorder. Yes. Or they are the level where they have very, very low um, expressions of narcissistic tendencies. So I just want to say, I see it has a spectrum. And I want to put that in that perspective. Now, the other thing that I've seen about narcissism, when people are not willing by all means to welcome any degree of shame, they create that barrier where they are not allowing themselves to see anything that might be wrong or negative about them. So narcissism is a built-up wall against mm. shame, in my experience again. And what I've seen over and over is people who are demonstrating really, really strong narcissistic tendencies, very often they grew up in an environment where shame or uh, an extremely high degree of shame was the norm. Yes. Like, shame for absolutely every single thing shame for like you didn't do your you, you didn't make your bed you didn't do this you didn't have that and just shamed and shamed and shamed and shamed again 
Now, does it excuse the behavior? No, that's not what I'm saying. But very often what I'm seeing is this people that tend to demonstrate those huge narcissistic tendencies, they actually grew up in environments where they were tremendously shamed and then they build this, all these mechanisms mm. to shield themselves from shame. So they will never agree that there is something that they did that was wrong, that there is something that they did that hurt somebody else. They will never sometimes even apologize, take ownership for everything that they did that kind of hurt people. Um, they usually, very, they are actually using shame as an instrument, which is through gaslighting and all of these practices, you <sighs> yes. know. So there is a huge projection. You know, when you build a shame, what is happening is you project it. When you build a shield, you are actually projecting that shame because you disown it, you project it. You disown it, you project it. And that projection of shame is actually what usually narcissists do and people around them are constantly at a place where they are receiving that from them. Mm-hmm through gaslighting, through passive aggression, through all of, you know, things like that. So in my experience, it is coming from the epidemics of not wanting to take ownership for what you can, for what you do and for how it's affecting others. So that's the greatest on the spectrum of narcissism. That's the, the, one of the extreme cases is so I'm having a, I think I'm having a breakthrough now with this. Um, so are you familiar with when the child, when you're, when a child is molested, they yeah. either become a molester themselves or they become a protector. Yes. When you have a family that heavily shames you, is it possible that you get either a narcissist or you get someone who is the opposite, who becomes a caretaker codependent because of the shame absolutely and it's like we have that pendulum swing when you're on the go 24 7 like me guys finding ways to make life easier is so important for my health and sanity (laughs) and that's exactly what my friends at macy's do for me from working there as a teenager to now going to them for so many of my daily essentials it's been my go-to for so many years and having everything in one place is such a time saver for me with being a first-time mom for a while now as you know I've had plenty of those and being able to rely on them for all the things has been amazing plus having everything in one place has made being a new mom just a little bit easier for me so I know we're all focusing on our families our health hopefully our jobs and everything in between but it's time to make your life a little easier and to help you out I've curated all of my essentials from Macy's for you and the whole fam all the details are in the show notes below or you can just click the link in the description to get your hands on them too I have some new picks on there this little bomber jacket this little black dress you're gonna love it that often happens it's like depending on how someone is able to receive shame and this is the, the pendulum swing is really really loud in the field depending on how somebody is willing to receive shame. And if they have like um, so many psychologists um, call it a self, um, an extremely low degree of self-love, a self-love deficiency when they're talking about codependence, when they are talking about empath and really codependent people, 
they are talking about a, a, a self-love deficit disorder, something like this. Because we are willing to receive shame over and over when we see ourselves as bad or wrong. There is something broken within within us. There is something not okay within us. And then we are able to absorb and absorb and absorb shame over and over again. And that leads us to that position of self-sacrificing in order to receive love, self-sacrificing in order to receive belonging, self-sacrificing in order to feel like you are loved by somebody else you become a caretaker now narcissists what they're going to do on the other side they're like they usually have no tolerance for any degree of shame or at some point they develop that as a way to protect themselves and then they begin building that shield yes and every time they perceive that somebody is gonna just invite them into a place of taking ownership for something they did that affected someone else in a negative way. They're going to do everything to deflect, project, protect themselves, gaslight if needed, distort the story um, if needed, so that they don't have to take responsibility for anything. All those things you just said, yes. They're guilty. That pendulum swing is very, very loud in this um, situation and a narcissist seems harder to treat because of that shield where the person on the other end of the spectrum i feel like might be more open to receiving you know the, the codependent mm-hmm. where because then they're not, they're, they'll have a different wall but it won't be as extreme or strong yes because you know a deep uh, 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 an extremely part of the healing process is radical honesty Ooh. radical honesty with yourself <laughs> Like this is a key point of the healing process. If there is no radical honesty, if somebody is b- building a shield around the f- uh, around um, their ability to feel shame, they will not be radically honest. That's radically that radical honesty with yourself. It brings it brings you at a place where you can level up really with you know with what happened and really ground yourself into the fact the reality of what happened without sugarcoating it and when we open up to radical honesty you know taking radical responsibility is necessary meeting ourselves with compassion is extremely necessary acceptance compassion radical honesty have attributes that are missing in narcissists uh, in, in in narcissists being able to really take ownership for what they did to be truly honest with themselves is something that usually they don't have. But when, because of life experiences, because, you know, there is this narrative that people with narcissistic disorders, they don't heal, that they are just lost causes. And I understand that. And I understand where people are coming from. Um, I'm just in this place where, it is hard for me to accept, to believe that any human being that wants it enough will not be able to heal. It is really hard for me to accept that. I am yes. really on the, of the belief that if a human being is willing enough, open enough to fully heal emotionally, to fully heal a trauma, if they are really open enough, 
there is possibility yeah. for them. I mean, Howard Stern, you know, he's a friend, and I know he's talked about on his show that he was he was tested as an extreme narcissist three yeah. times a week in therapy, sometimes four, and yeah. it's he retook the test I think a decade later, and he's 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 not. And I think that his parents were very shameful. He made a joke of it on the show, but now it all yeah. makes sense. So I think there is hope. I also think the key word, if I were trying to reach a narcissist is the word compassion and not yes. just, okay, it's too big of an ask, I think, early on in their recovery to say, be compassionate to these people you hurt. Be compassionate to yourself. It's yeah. not all, you know I mean? You, this happened to you because you were shamed. Yeah. You, you, were, you were not, you know, um, provided with the, what you needed to be the best of who you are. And now yes. with, your, with radical honesty and awakening, you know, and, but compassion for yourself, you know, like it's, a, you know, Absolutely. in other words, it's okay. You're, you got, we, it's understandable you got here. Why wouldn't you, you know, when you think of some serial killers, you know, they're the ones who had the nice family. So you look and they just were serial killers. <clears throat> and then, you know, yeah. there's other people that you see what they went through in their lives. And I'm not saying they shouldn't be in prison and be away from humans so they can't hurt anybody, but at least internally, there's a reason why that they, a lot of them, how were they treated and, yes. and having compassion for themselves. So I think that's that key word. But the, 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 the thing is while we wait for them to get there, they're pretty, my experience, pretty dangerous to be around. And, um, absolutely. And I have my ways at this point of how to deal with them, but it ain't easy. Mm. And I think it's we're, not at all. it's not. And I think we've, given birth to so many more of them today because of all the things going on in the world. Yes. Um, I really think we need the tool, you to help us with some tools for how to deal with the narcissists in our lives and on the varying spectrums. Yeah. The first thing that I would like to say about the narcissist experience is very often they get awakened by a dark night of the soul. Meaning something is going to happen to them where they are going to be they will be brought to this ruthless realization that there is something that hasn't been working and something that needs to shift. That is what I've just seen with people that I've worked with. And when they come to me, they are confessing some of the things that are happening in their lives. I can see the pattern that is unfolding. And some of them are other places where they are touched by, you know, the shift happened because of it. And some of them are the place where they are, they met one person that was so grounded in their truth and they performed the attacks. I've seen, I've worked with a gentleman who owns a company and there was a, there was a, there was an older lady that came and worked with him. And he tried all the gaslighting and all the tactics that he could, the tactics <laughs> that he could on her. And the woman was like unfazed. She wouldn't even like she, he couldn't do anything. Wow. And the woman looked at him in the eye. She was like, I know you're kind. You need love. That she said that to him. And he sat in his office. He couldn't work the whole day. He got out through the through the the, the exit, the 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 safety exit. He took the stairs, he went home. 
she looked at him. She was like, I know your kind. I grew up around your kind. You need love. And she turned around and kept going with her work. That was his awakening moment there. He was like, someone never talked to me that way. That touched me so deeply. He's like, there's something wrong. I can see it. I need help. I don't know how. That was our first conversation. Now, for for the person that has to deal with the narcissist, though, what something that is really that was really embodied in this woman, it's like she was so grounded mm-hmm. in who she is. Yeah. And when he would describe that woman to me, I was like, "There's nothing you can do." Yeah, she's a rock. Woman. She's a rock. If you, if you can't work with her, fire her. You know, but if that woman stays there, she is going to sober you up. She's really going to sober you (laughs) up. And this is what she did for him. And they are best friends today. (gasps) Oh, my God. Beautiful. You know, they are best friends today. He never fired her. They've been working and he's always going back to her. He's like, please tell me when I lost my I lose my way because sometimes I can't see it. So she is part of his like very close circle and she tells it to him like it is and he is open to her feedback because he trusts that he cannot sway her he trusts that so for other people really building that trust like very often building that trust in what they saw what they felt what happened when you are there are situations where you you can't help but being around a narcissist and it takes to have so strong boundaries. Like boundaries are so crucial nowadays. Being able to have so strong boundaries, being able to stand, because boundaries are a place of self-protection, but they are also a safe place for the true expression of who you are. So every single time you are attacked by someone, every time someone is breaching your integrity and you feel like, wow, there's something that this person did or said here that is really brushing me off the wrong way. And very often, of course, there is that necessity to look within. Is it about me? Is it coming from me? Is there something that I need to shift or adjust here? But when it's coming through toxic shaming, very often, I often tell people, if the person is shaming you in a way that is toxic and really belittling you, odds are it doesn't have anything to do with you. Mm -hmm. Odds are they are seeing something within you that is activating them and maybe a boundary is needed there. So boundaries are so necessary and important in this moment because they allow you to create that kind of space of safety that you need around yourself. Mm-hmm. And in some other cases, very often, unfortunately, the first response for people that are dealing with narcissists is just to get away, maybe to create some space so that you can really have the space you need to work, especially if it's so disruptive. All right, friends, let's talk about something we all do. Snack. Trust me, I've definitely overindulged in the past, but as you know, I am focused 
on my health these days. And I think I found the healthier snack that you don't have to lose out on the flavor. And it's definitely become my go-to. It first came into the house because of Kevin. He was obsessed with wonderful pistachios. And then I got addicted. And now it's in my travel bag. I don't leave home without it. It's in our glove compartments because they don't melt. Right now, my favorite flavor is the sweet chili flavor. It feels like some of the naughtier kind of snacks I used to use where I used to lick my fingers after. Now I lick them and I feel safer. Um, Plus, Wonderful Pistachios is one of the highest protein nuts. Each one ounce serving has six grams of protein, giving you over 10% of your daily value. That's crazy, guys. So if you're looking for the perfect snack, trust me and head over to www.wonderfulpistachios.com to snag a bag of Wonderful Pistachios. You're going to love them that you lose your sense of self in a good but but in my experience xavier a good narcissist will do everything to tear those boundaries down they'll just keep coming i know a friend whose ex-wife is one and no matter what this guy does she just will not stop no matter what and uh, i literally now have made him create a calendar for when his youngest is 18th is 18 and he will no longer have to deal with her and he can just be with his two children, um, yeah. be, because it does get to that point. I love the idea of boundaries. I love the idea of, I love the way that lady went with honesty, a radical honesty of her to him. But again, she was enough of a rock to she stand there and take and take mm-hmm. enough, take it back. What yes. I would hate to see is any of our people who are not strong enough, by the way, include me as probably one of them, that I yeah. would say that and be ready for them to, pull out new weapons. I, I always say with the nar- it's really hard with a narcissist because I have some things, <laughs> again, I, I, I do regular guy Fridays. I, I, I have the regular guy perspective on all this stuff, <laughs> wanting to get better like any regular guy or girl I think does. Yes. But um, one of the things that I would say with a narcissist, what's consistent with them is that when it comes to them taking any kind of action, um, if there's a chance for them to do the right thing or the wrong thing, they will always do the wrong thing, in my experience. And that was the one kind of tool I had, where at least being predictive of their behavior, if there was one door that was going to help me and one that was going to hurt me, they were always going to choose the door that hurt. So like, that's one thing that I noticed. What, and unfortunately. The, the, what you're saying is really is really interesting. And what I usually encourage people to do is like make the make the inventory of the expectations that you're putting on them in a, any given moment that they would change, that they would do something. Make the inventory of all these yes. expectations. Yeah. And then reclaim them, mm-hmm. like really release them from all the possible expectations yes. that you can eventually have. Meaning, I hope they will do this. I hope they will see it. I hope they will see that someday, blah, blah, blah. And really be at a place where you do not put your safety anymore in their hands. I love this idea. Even with enemies who do terrible things to you, I hope one day they see how bad they've hurt me. I hope one day, let it go. Right? And it's like really being at a place where you are not looking for closure with the narcissist in in order to move forward. Mm -hmm. Because very often we are at this place where I can only feel, we tell ourselves consciously or subconsciously, I will only feel peace when they admit. I will only feel peace when they 
um, see how much I'm hurting. I will only feel peace. And for so many people, like I've had so many clients that were like, especially when they've had a, par- a parent that was a narcissist, they were like, I would love my life to be better. Oh. But if I let my life be better, she's going to take credit. And I don't want her to take credit for mm. me being right. better. Yes. I want her to see how much she's hurt me. Mm. And therefore, this woman that I'm talking about here, she was just at this space where she would she would keep herself in pain because she never wanted her mom. She knew her mom would take yes. credit for her feeling better. Wow. She was like, yeah, that's my daughter. Look at that. That's my daughter. And she she she's she has had experiences of her mom actually oh. doing that. Like she I'm talking about somebody that had eating disorders and all yeah, of no. this. And by the way, and all every of time, this is all of this is gonna be totally understandable to anyone. Yeah. I hear you loud and clear. I and I know anyone of our audience, which our audience is mainly the people from this show, the heal squad. They call themselves the heal squad. They only want yeah. to help and heal people. So we have a lot of caretakers. We have a, a, an author, Anna Lamont, who labels it flight attendants. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> Very, oh so, so they're going to hear loud and clear exactly what you're saying and how that poor young lady feels. I want to say as someone older, I'm beginning to let go of that the last couple of years. Yeah. And I'm getting more success because of it. It was holding me back. Mm-hmm. So, so you're really only, you're, you're going to what I always say, you're a double loser. The first you're Absolutely. already hurt. They already hurt you once, but now by staying in that field of I want to either get them to admit or apologize, or I'm gonna you know show them uh, how stupid they are for what they did, or oh now they're gonna take credit for how successful I am. So so she is in essence saying to herself, so I'm not gonna become successful because mom's gonna take credit. Well now Absolutely. you're a double loser, and I but, but I but I understand. And I think there's so much in getting away from, I hope they'll see or whatever. It's so good you're sharing this because forget sitting in that chair and facing them. Up. This, I know it's easier said than done, but let it go. Learn from it. Why you got into that situation to begin with. You know, what, what was it about you? How do we not get in those situations in the future? But the more energy we give them, it's, oh my God, it's, it's terrible. It is very, it is very a, a hard place to be because, you know, in the case, of, in, in the example of this woman, it, she wasn't even aware of that story. She was like, how come I cannot do something good with my life and blah, 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 and blah, blah, blah. And when we peel the layer, she finds out, oh, crap, there's a story here. If I do something good with my life, mom is going to take credit for it. Mm-hmm. And I can never allow that. Mm. So her making peace with that, with, with, with the fact that making her life, like changing her circumstances and becoming a better mom, becoming a better, a more empowered, you know, when I say a better mom is like, I, I don't want to project here that she was a, 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 a bad mom, but first these are her words because she was, she would have days of feeling crippled in bed and she wanted to be at a place where she becomes a model to her daughters of what it looks like to take care of herself. And she just couldn't. And I was like, are you going to give also your mom the credit for how, for what you're going to model to your daughters? There needs to be a disruptor here. Yes. Yes. There needs to be a disruptor here 
So you have this beautiful opportunity to be that person for yourself and for your daughters, or your daughters will have to do the work too. Someone told me once too that when it comes to parents, uh, they, you know, in the situation, you know, with her mother, your mom loves you as much as she can. Mm-hmm. You know, that is, that is true in my experience. And this is a belief that people will always love you based on how they can love themselves. Like people will only love you as best they possibly can based on the history, based on the wounds that they had, you know, and that's what they have to offer. And there is something that is also very, very important in order to heal the victim, you need to meet the victim, in my experience. Wow. Okay. Explain this like one. That, 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 um, let's, if we talk about the case of this woman, for example, what she was feeling inside of her was a lot of anger, was a lot of resentment against her mother. And we often have this perspective, you shouldn't resent your parents, you shouldn't feel angry, you shouldn't this and you shouldn't that. And I get that. But very often, the body has already stored within all that anger. And you refuse to meet that anger, it will burn you from within. Like you refuse to meet the anger, you refuse to meet the resentment, you refuse to, you know, to really acknowledge what is going on here. It will really erode you from within. It will make you bitter. And that's what was going on for her. She would be reactive very quick with her children, even with your husband, even with herself, you know, so she would be at that place. And I was like, there is something you cannot dismiss an emotion and get it to go away. I don't know a way to do that. You cannot reject an emotion and get it to go away. The child within you felt angry at her mom because of everything that happened. And you get to meet that child And what we did, and when she went there, she was like, she was present with this younger version of her inside here that was full of bitterness, Mm. being full of like feeling that what happened to her wasn't fair. So she needed to meet that younger version of her to really be in the presence of the anger, the resentment that was there, to give herself permission to really shift that to feel that, to be present with all of that and to really anchor a new perspective at that deep of a level, which is, I'm sorry mom wasn't there. I'm sorry she couldn't help us the way we needed. I remember my mom always struggling with her hair. It's frizzy Maria, my mom would say in her Greek accent. Tiehis, what do you have? I tried so hard to find her products. I wish I could share these products I'm using now with her because I know she would be so happy to finally have good hair days. I've always believed that hair is a woman's best accessory. And with Way's new anti-frizz cream, you can ensure that your hair always looks its best without the frizz stealing the spotlight. It's a lightweight cream that not only provides immediate frizz control, but also helps prevent heat damage. And get this, it lasts up to 72 hours. That's three whole days of frizz-free, gorgeous hair. Way seriously has some of my favorite products for taming the frizz. Pro tip, one of my biggest discoveries is using the Way hair oil on the ends of my hair before I dry it. Let me tell you, it's a game changer. Once it's dry, my hair looks so smooth and polished. I don't even need to do anything else. It is incredible. I love it. Frizz free up your schedule with Way. Go to the Way. 
T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com and enter the promo code Heel Squad for 15% off any product. That's the way. T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com. Promo code Heel Squad. Trust me, you won't regret it. I'm sorry we didn't have that childhood that we wanted, but I am here now. Meaning her, the adult self, and I usually like to give that perspective, the adult self talking to the child within being like, I'm sorry, this didn't really happen for us. I'm sorry you feel all this rage and all of this anger and it's justified. There is nothing wrong with it. Mm. And right now we get to create something different. Do, do, you, um, do you think it helps too to have a level of healthy empathy and compassion for, in some cases, the, the narcissist victimizer? So for what the, in case for the, abu- for the abuser for the abuser like for what what the mom went through we don't know I does it, it is, help it is very it is very possible but I've seen it has an outcome Ooh. you can't meet the abuser if you haven't met the victim in my experience starts with the victim you can't fully meet the abuser if you haven't met the victim it doesn't mean identifying with the victim it means meeting the victim within with compassion. It's as if you are literally, you, the adult self, let's say Kevin meets the boy inside and just like, like, man, little dude, I'm sorry you had to go through all of that shit. Like, I feel what you're feeling. And whenever you relate to that part of you, what happens first when you really open up? The emotions start flowing. As if you open the valve. And all of that is flowing to be released. So it, people often say, and I, I, I understand where it's coming from. Like I have this understanding that's kind of, it, it sounds spiritual, it sounds beautiful. But in the practicality, so many of these things have not worked for me and the people that I facilitated the work for. I wasn't able to forgive my dad until I met my anger until I really truly worked through the anger, the resentment that I was feeling. And then at some point after doing that work of releasing and I was just like, I was able to look at the man and just being like, man, this dude had six kids, you know, in a period where we had an economic crisis. I was born in 1989, 1994, we had an economic crisis. Currency lost half its value and they had to work like dogs to provide for us. And they did it. And I was just present to all of the stress, you know, being a dad myself right now, all of the stress they they had to go through. And I was like, God damn it. I just need to give this man credit for this. And at some point I just wrote him a message. I was just like, you know, I know we've had, you know, challenging relationships and all of this. I just needed to give you credit for this as well because I couldn't see how fortunate we were back then. But this happened for me after literally working through, I wasn't able to access that from an angry place. Yes, you had to meet the victim first. Mm -hmm. I had to meet the victim in me first with compassion and release the emotional charge that was there before I was able to meet my dad with compassion. Is, does, does it all start with us 
meeting our inner child over all of the anger and the shame and the things we've done? In my, in my experience, it has been the case. Really? I'm not saying it's the only way. In my experience, it has been the case and it has been extremely liberating for so many people to look at their inner closets, to look at their shadows, to look at the parts of themselves that they are usually hiding in the dark or shying away from. It has been extremely liberating. And I've seen people because in my experience, you can only love others at, you know, at the degree that you're willing to love yourself. If you are not capable to give to yourself the grace of forgiveness and compassion, it's going to be very, very hard to give it truthfully to others. Because I often see people, they come, they work with me. They're like, man, I thought I had forgiven. I thought I forgave this person. And I'm so angry. I'm still so angry. This is what I see over and over. It's like, some some people are going to try to necessarily to they're going to try to force forgiveness because we put forgiveness on a pedestal and i love forgiveness i'm not saying it's wrong we put forgiveness on a pedestal as the way to healing but in my experience it has been the outcome of healing it is the beautiful exit door of healing it's like you walk through and at the end you're like i am complete and then forgiveness becomes possible. It is a beautiful outcome. So that has been my experience. So how do we get to forgiveness then is by getting to know the inner child. By getting to know our wounded parts. And sometimes we, you know, trauma keeps happening in life, even later in life. By getting to meet our wounded parts with compassion, acceptance, presence, compassion, acceptance, meeting our wounded parts, with presence, meaning I'm not going to run this time. I'm not going to shy away from my pain. I'm not going to try to suppress it. I'm not going to try to numb it. I'm going to be fully present with it. I'm going to accept myself for the experience. I'm going to give myself the grace of compassion. When we do that over and over, we and when we begin to just like disrupt that emotional charge, we free ourselves. You know, emotionally, if you put that on a vibrational level, every time you drop anger, resentment, guilt, shame, your energy rises and it brings you in a place where you are available emotionally to actually reach forgiveness and mean it. And very often people would say, I forgive you when they are done blaming you. They would say, I forgive you just because they are not willing to blame you anymore or they are not willing to just, you know, project something to you anymore. But it doesn't mean that they have emptied the container of grief, anger, shame that they felt when the event happened. True forgiveness happens when you really empty your cup emotionally and you are at a place where you're like, okay, in this moment, I gave myself the closure I needed. And very often, people who reach true forgiveness, they don't even need an apology. Yeah, yeah. And they, they, they are just able to say, usually in my experience, it was like, I didn't need any sort of apology from my dad or from even bullies. Back then, I was just like, man, there is that thing that you did to me back then. It stayed with me for years. And I'm guessing you don't even remember. But it stayed with me for years. And I've finally been able to get over it. I just want to tell you 
you know, I've been holding a grudge against you for years and I'm, I'm not sure if you even noticed. And the person would be, yeah, you always felt weird and blah, blah, blah. And it was just weird to be around you. I felt like you had something against me. And I was like, yeah, I did. And I never wanted to admit that because of that thing you did back then in high school that made me feel small and that made me feel this way. I just want to tell you because, and I'm doing it for myself. I forgive you. And the person was just like, did sometimes they were just blown away. They were like, I didn't even know that it hurt you that much. Mm. I didn't even know you were, you were affected that much. So very often when you reach that deep level of forgiveness, you don't even need an apology. You don't even need to have some degree of like, you know, the person, you don't need the person to ask for forgiveness. Yeah. You just get there. What do you do for the, now we're talking about the people that are, are, um, angry at things that were done to them. But what about the people that, and you're, you raised Catholic, I'm Catholic. So yeah. many of us are very guilty of things we've done. Yeah. So how do you process that? So when you, you're, you see yourself as the abuser. Yeah. That's something that is very, very powerful. And I'm going to go back to one thing that I said before. Shame doesn't work for redemption in my experience. I don't know of any way that shame could actually help people fully heal to a certain degree. What happens when we have strong values and we have breached these values, it's as if we are handing the baton to the inner critic and we are telling the inner critic, beat me, I've deserved it. Beat me. I've deserved it. Mm. It's as if we are siding up. Imagine that you have um, the, the, the best image that I would give to this. It's like, imagine that you have a child that did something wrong. And then as a first time mom with a baby, I'm always on the go, whether it's running errands, getting my coffee, going to doctor's appointments, or just spending quality time with little Athena. And that's why I rely on wonderful pistachios to keep me fueled and ready for anything, no matter where I am. Kevin even keeps us bag stashed in the nursery. <laughs> you know, for the nighttime hunger moments. Wonderful pistachios comes in a variety of flavors and sizes, making them the perfect snack to have literally any time, whether I'm enjoying them during a quick break in between taping this show or I'm on the go and it's in the diaper bag. I do carry it in my travel bag and they're in my car. At this point, when I'm leaving the house, I think keys, wallet, wonderful pistachios. <laughs> Bonus, wonderful pistachios is one of the highest protein nuts with six grams of protein in every one ounce serving. So on top of all that, they keep me feeling satisfied. I'm energized while I'm juggling all this crazy stuff in life. Next time you're looking for a convenient and guilt-free snack, head over to www.wonderfulpistachios.com and stock up on your favorite flavors today. Minus the sweet chili. And one of the parents says, we should beat the crap out of this child. And then the, the other parents comes around and, and says, yes, this child has deserved it. We should just beat the crap out of this child. And that dynamics is what happens usually when we have the values, because the, the other perspective that I'm trying to give here, which is the parent that says, yes, this is justified. We should beat the hell out of this, this child here is that persona within that is supposed to take your own defense. But for some reason, you are 
siding with the critic within. The critic is the storehouse of all the different, the, 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 the critic is the, the police of your conditioning. The conditioning of like, you know, um, many spiritual, and I would say Christian people is sin. Sinning, uh, you know, committing a sin is bad. So if you actually did that, you are giving an extra reason to the critic to beat yourself up and you are agreeing with the beating. Be like, yes, I've deserved the beating. I am bad. I am wrong. There's something wrong with me. I deserve to be treated that way. Even in these situations, some people would say any abuser doesn't deserve compassion. And in my experience, I understand where they come from and it doesn't create healing as well. Especially when you, you are the one who has done the, the, the thing that is bad or that is not okay. Giving yourself compassion, combining that compassion with a high degree of transparency with yourself and taking ownership with the action. I did this. I did this and it hurt somebody. And I'm taking responsibility for that. This action didn't match who I know myself to be. This action didn't match who I wanted to be for that person. And there is something that I often offer to people, which is, I don't know if you know of the Ho'oponopono prayer that the that people from the islands have. No, please. Um, um, people from Hawaii, this is something that they use a lot. I am sorry. Please forgive me. Thank you. I love you. Yes, no, I do know that one. I love that. Something that is not often directed at self. We often like this is a practice that they often have with other people that they would they would just come to other people and just like share it with other people and trying to uh, give uh, get forgiveness and completion. But when you do that with yourself, it has the potential to be extremely powerful. I am sorry I behaved in a way that doesn't match. Who I know myself to be. I'm sorry I breached my own values. I'm sorry I didn't know any better. And the please forgive me is to yourself, not to someone else. Please forgive me for not having the, the consciousness to not do this. And really to yourself, it is so underrated to ask for forgiveness to ourselves. You know, I'm sorry, please forgive me. Thank you. And I love you. And it's like sealing this, like sealing that with a new, from now on, I choose. From now on, I choose to respond this way in these situations. From now on, I choose to take a breath. From now on, when I start getting reactive and I think I am losing it and I get, I'm get i getting out of control, I choose to pause. I choose to remove myself. It's like you get to retrain yourself about how you respond in the same kind of situation where you did something that wasn't right or that wasn't helpful from now on when that happens i choose to take responsibility from now on when that happens i choose to take to make amends i choose to be the first one to reach out to the other person so that hoponopono thing which is to yourself i am sorry as if you are asking you're apologizing to yourself please forgive me 
And this can be very underrated, but I'm inviting people to try, especially if you know you've done something that didn't match who you know yourself to be. Thank you, and I love you. I'm inviting you to try and then to add mm -hmm. at the end, you know, thank you for taking ownership. Thank you for realizing it. Thank you for wanting to change. Thank you for doing something different. I can see the value in that. The only reason why you are feeling so guilty right now is because you care. Thank you for caring. Thank you for caring. There are so many other people that would go and brush it off and so, not try to do anything. And what I love but about meeting yourself with that is compassion. What I love about this is that it not only heals the past wound, but then it helps you navigate future ones. Yes. Is what you're saying, because you're training yourself. I think, um, you know, for some people, if if the, the guilt is so deep, like, for instance, you said, uh, this is not who I am. I could hear, I know I could hear myself or someone else saying, well, no, I don't think that. I think maybe that's who I am. I think I am a piece of crap. Yeah. How do we work mm -hmm. on that? And this is like, this is where you bring even more that light of compassion, which is at the core, at the core of your being, it is pure love and light of this divine source made in his image. I know you're Catholic, and this is why I'm using this analogy, mm -hmm. made in his image from divine essence. Of course, we enter a human body and the human body has you know, the human consciousness, if I'm going to put it this way, we have preferences, we have conditioning, we have different impulses that cause us to do things that we do not, we end up realizing that wasn't right. But at the very core, what, who you are is that divine essence. This is my belief, at least. And I think, so, go ahead, continue. And when you are willing to meet that part of you that is saying, this is still the critic talking. When you're saying, no, deep down, I'm just a piece of shit. I'm just, you know, this is the critic talking. This is the police of the conditioning, which is, this is probably something that you, you adopted from, from someone else, maybe from your mom or your dad saying, when people act this way, they are just worthless pieces of shit. And then you see yourself through that lens and very often, I often ask people, who is saying that? Who is speaking? And then they burst in tears. They're like, this is my dad talking. talking." And we just, and we just brought that in our heads. This is my mom talking. Oh, this is, you know, this is what is said in my belief system or in this religion. But very often that voice is a voice that deserves to be challenged. And, and as a tool... Is it helpful to be able to say to the person, um, the fact that you are bothered by this, guilty by it, ashamed of it, have this awareness, want to treat it, does that not, is that not evidence that you aren't a piece of shit? It's evidence that you actually care. Yes. Mm. It's evidence that you care enough to even admit because if you didn't care enough, you would just be a plain narcissist. That would be like, well, there's nothing to see here. I did nothing. Let's move on. But the fact that you're willing to take any degree of responsibility means that you care. And of course, what you did is something that you wished never happened. Of course, it wasn't something that 
reflected, you know, the, um, the love that you have to offer. Nothing, you know, it's like when we really engage on this path of healing, we have to shift from the polarity of like bad and wrong and see beyond that and look for unity. And that means being willing to see all perspectives at the same time, meaning the action wasn't right. The action wasn't correct. The action was hurtful, if I'm going to put it that way. And yet, I am still coming from divine essence. Yet, I am both at the same time. Yet, I am not available for shaming myself anymore. And it doesn't mean that if I was given the option to change what I did, I wouldn't. I am not trying to normalize what I did. I am not trying to you know, push it under the rug. It is informing me about, oh, this is something that I don't want to identify with anymore from now on. I see it. I take responsibility for my action. In this moment, I understand that moving forward, if I keep shaming myself for that, I'm not really going to experience deep healing. So I give myself that grace of compassion. Okay. So... Good. That's what I hear about it. Wow. Okay. Breaking bad habits, if you would be so kind, because I know that a lot of us have bad habits. We've always had bad habits. I think there's probably a lot more now that maybe have come out from being in Corona, where it's overeating or medicating or just watching too much TV, whatever the case is. So the first thing about habits, it's like there there are two levels of habits, you know, in my experience. Um. It's like there is a mental level, there is the emotional level. And very, uh, you know, one of the most fascinating books that I've read about habits is the book of James Clear, Atomic Habits, Habits that I really love. But there's so many approaches about changing habits are only addressing the mental level. They are only instructions about, you know, okay, do this at this time and do this and do this and do this right. and do this. And people are like, okay, as if I didn't know that already, like, give me something more. But very often there is an emotional component to habits and especially the habits that we are, we have a hard time shifting are very often habits that are compensating for an emotional imbalance. So the, 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 the habits that we have an extremely hard time shifting are very often compensating for an emotional imbalance. They are compensating for an emotional need. They are compensating for something that we need to address emotionally. I'm giving you addiction, which is the, the highest expression of a habit. It's usually something that happens when people are not willing to be present with the feelings that are there. And very often when you see all the people that successfully get out of any degree of addiction, they practice that skill of presence emotionally. They give themselves permission to just accept what is going on within their bodies at a deeper level. Because very often when that emotion is triggered, we tend to shift on the other direction and then look for something that we can do in order to shove it down again, whether it's food, whether it's like for so many men now, porn, whether it's like um, drugs, everything that we can do not to feel. 
So there is a big component, especially when we have a, a, a difficult habit to, to change. Like I'm, I'm going to talk first about something that we want to change. When we have an extremely difficult habit that we would like to change, but it's compulsive over and over, it is very necessary to begin to get intimate with the trigger of that habit, meaning what is happening within me every time I feel the trigger to do this thing, to smoke, to um, to maybe yell, to get loud, to um, push somebody else away. Like so many people have like avoidant, you know, attachments and like every time they get intimate in a relationship, they just have this habit of sabotaging the relationship. It's just like, what is going on within you? What is happening in there? Like being, diving into what is the, the internal journey of I am just feeling anxiety in this moment and being present with the anxiety and maybe even tracing, trying to look where is that coming from? What makes me feel this way in that moment, in this moment? Curiosity with the emotional experience is so underrated. Curiosity, Just, there's that word again, curiosity. Curiosity with the, the, emo, the internal journey, because very often when we have a hard time, we, we have so loud inner critics. When we have a hard time shifting something, shifting a habit, boom. When we have a hard time Installing a new habit, boom, the critic is in the room. Just like shaming, well, you can't do anything. Well, you're not able to change this. What else can you change in your life if you're not even able to change this simple thing? If you're not able to wake up at 5 a.m. in the morning every day, what do you think you're going to accomplish? If you're not able to eat three meals and have two snacks or just like to fast for this amount of time or to blah, 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 what do you think you can accomplish? So we have that critic that comes in and is very loud. The first thing is to learn how to disrupt the critic. And there is nothing that is more, in my experience, empowering than learning how to disrupt the critic. And disrupting the critic is not so that you become complacent with your bad habits. And it's not so that you become, you, 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 you get at the place where you don't want to do anything about, you know, um, it anymore. It's just so that you give yourself again the grace of compassion. Because very often what happens, I fail at changing this habit today. I fail at doing this thing today. Then I'm going to shame myself for five days. And because I shame myself, I feel even worse about myself. And when I feel worse about myself, I get in that place where I am feeling like I'm powerless and there is nothing I can do. But when I notice, when I observe, okay, I failed again at this thing today and I haven't been able to wake up early or to do this thing, or I smoked again, I decided to decrease to this many cigarettes, but today I had um, two more cigarettes and something like that. Can that be okay just for now? Can that be okay truly? I didn't do this today and that's okay. I didn't work out today and that's okay. I don't need to shame myself for that. I don't need to beat myself up for that. And even that voice of the critic comes up and like, well, if you don't beat yourself up, how are you gonna change? 
and it's really standing up to it. Shaming myself also hasn't been working. So I'm going to give myself compassion and I'm going to try again. I'm going to give myself compassion and I'm going to try again. Can it be okay? So when you are able to suspend that voice of the critic and see it and observe it, and that inner critic is a process, it's a mental activity, when you are able to challenge it in a healthy way, because very often we identify with the critic, very often we shame ourselves and we think it's the right way to go about things. But when we are standing up to the critic, there is often that relationship, internal relationship that's happening between the inner child and the inner critic. The critic is the bully of the child. On and on and on again, we are bullying ourselves, which is behave, set up the right habits, right. wake up early. And, da, then, da, 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 da. and then the child wants to rebel and then feeds the addiction to rebel against Absolutely. the critic. Mm. Absolutely. Okay. And the child is just like, hell no. Or the child is feeling too, you know, hurt and frozen to change anything. So that's, those are two things. Either we feel like we are bullying ourselves or we are rebelling against the bully. So there is that false dynamics. And it takes to, you know, reparenting, in my opinion, the, doing the work of reparenting is one of the most elevated ways to change habits because it allows you to meet the child with compassion and then to anchor a new habit, a new perspective. Doing the work of reparenting is really crucial. And when we do the work of setting new habits from the perspective of reparenting, it gets so much more powerful to shift so much more powerful to anchor a new perspective, meaning always meeting the child with compassion. Like this is just hard. It is just really challenging to, sh I'm just, I'm just demonstrating what, it, yes. what it, it would sound like. And Xavier, I think we're going to need to do, if you'd be kind to come back and let's do, a, I think one whole episode on reparenting because mm -hmm. Maria has yeah. been talking about that re-raising yourself. Yes. And I think that that is uh an hour at least to, to you know, I mean, I oh, don't think parenting is big. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah. And, and I, I go back to um, you saying about addressing the feelings of like, you want to smoke or drink or indulge in bad food or watch porn or whatever it is. Yeah. You were saying about curiosity about the feelings you have then before you take that action. Absolutely. That's helpful. That's absolutely helpful. Usually what I get people to do is like, hold your cigarette. You know, it's just like, hold your cigarette. And, you know, you have the lighter in your hand. The cigarette is there. Within a second, you can turn, you can light up the cigarette and smoke. Tell me what is going on in your body. So, because very often we are at this space where we are separated between mind and body. And they are trying to reconnect. And every time they are trying to reconnect because the body is wired for coherence. The body is wired for wholeness. This is the reason when when this is the reason why when you hurt yourself, the white cells are jumping over there. They are just like, you know, integrity breach. We need to heal. The body, emotional, mental, spiritual, ethereal, or physical body is wired for wholeness. So very often when we are in traumatic situations. And we do not know how to 
meet or to navigate a specific emotion, we suppress it, we try to cope. And then at some point in time, when the the factor, when the environment is not the safe, the same anymore, when the person that used to make you feel unsafe is not there anymore, when there is a little bit more safety, the body is going to call you through triggers usually. And very often people have their ways to navigate their triggers. Okay, they're going to smoke. Okay, they're going to do something. They set, um, very often people that have porn addiction, they sexualize a charge that they don't know how to process. And literally when they have that orgasm um, happening, this is the way to discharge that emotional thing that was in there. So every time they feel it, this they, they have that association and they sexualize that charge. And when they go, when they watch porn, for example, they allow themselves to release it. And so many other people is going to be through something else. So just becoming present with the emotion, which is the charge, becoming present with that, feeling all of it, allowing yourself even to ask yourself, where did I feel this way before? And this might require the help of a facilitator if you're not really skilled at navigating your, your own emotions. But just that simple fact of feeling your emotion and validating the way you feel. Oh, I'm feeling extremely anxious right now for this and this or this reason. There is something that was said. There is something that I saw. There is something that I observed that made me feel this anxiety. And so it's not... It, and that's okay. Just that validation of the emotional states, it creates you to, it, it gets, it gets you to a place where you feel a little bit of relief. And there's several, several different emotional states. I would think that would lead to the addiction. So anxiety, you know, you may want to smoke, but there's other feelings, right? That could uh, absolutely trigger the need for addiction. And very often, the feelings that will lead you there are the feelings that you were model, model the least how to navigate in a healthy way. Mm-hmm. A lot of cases for men and for, you know, it's like anger. Anger is bad. Anger is terrible. Like this association of anger with aggression. And, you know, uh, somebody that was raised well doesn't want, to f- doesn't want to be aggressive. But if I created that identification, anger equals aggression. And when something does something that, somebody does something that makes me feel that anger. I don't want to be aggressive, so I need to do something. Maybe I'm going to smoke and that's going to work. And for some other people, it might be just shame. They don't know how to navigate shame. They just create that uh, that meaning. I am flawed. I am wrong. There's something wrong with me. I don't want to feel that way. I'll never amount to anything. And, you know, they, I am bad. Like Brené Brown says, you know, shame is telling yourself you are bad. You are, there's something broken inside. So they don't want to deal with that. They're not modeled how to navigate these emotions. So they're going to rely on something so that they don't have to face the emotion. And very often it's like, it takes the practice of first emotional intelligence, learning to emotionally regulate, which is also that new aspect of reparenting, learning to emotionally regulate, learning to even be present with your emotions, learning to work with them because they are a, they are just a natural, they, they play such a central role in the 
in the human experience, you can't get away from feeling as long as you are human. So learning how to work through your emotions with more grace, with more ease, is really, really necessary. And you don't have to rely anymore on like external things in order to get you to that place of regulation. Because in my experience, when we rely, when we use addiction, when we use all of these things, it's because we need to regulate. And when we are able to get to that place where you're going to see some people, they have such a deep level of ease creating new habits, boom, 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 boom. This It's set in place and they can move forward. They miss one day. Maybe they're not going to beat themselves too, too much for it. You know, next day I'm back on track, back to it. And some other people, they miss one day. It's a shame storm, shame spiral, yeah. shame you spiral. know. And therefore, they can't get back on track. It would take them a week, two weeks, maybe a month to feel better about themselves enough in order to get back on track, whatever that track is. And it, and it, and it perpetuates the addiction cycle. That's all you're doing is adding to it. Um, Kelsey's going to have a lot of, I think, a lot of questions for you because mm -hmm. Kelsey and her mom are the ones that introduced us to you or to me to you. And they've been following you for some time. So, Kelsey? My, I just have one that you mentioned earlier that both Kevin and I were like, <gasps> and we had a lot like, of those moments, but this one, it goes back to empaths and codependent people. And I think this is going to relate a lot to our audience. And you talked yeah. about self love deficit disorder. Can yes. you talk more about that and talk about for us who probably have that, how yes. we can, like, what steps can we take to help that? That's really interesting. Um, and yes, the first thing that I want to say here is mostly for people that have high degree of codependency. There is that self-love deficit disorder. And um, there is a psychologist that I, I'm, I'm, I love her work. That's how she labels it. Um, the first thing that I would like to say is very often we have this tendency to disown parts of ourselves to disown the way that we are looking at ourselves in my experience radical self-acceptance for exactly where you are is the first step mm. to you know to deep transformation like just radical self-acceptance like oh i'm seeing this pattern that i have just being observing of that pattern rather than shaming yourself for this pattern is really important. And I'm sorry, I'm going to come back with the word shame over and over and over because it has just been anchored in the consciousness of people and people that have a very low level, like self-love deficit disorder. And I, I don't want to use it as a new label, but it's just like, it's truly a self-love deficit. They are just so... Uh, they just work with shame all the time. They are just constantly shaming themselves, constantly putting themselves down in order to look for any degree of like approval, belonging or whatever, you know? So just meeting yourself where you are, in my experience, is the first step. Like very often I would invite people to make the inventory of all their own traits that they would shame themselves for. Like this, I hate the fact that I am feeling powerless or I'm feeling this and I'm feeling this and I'm feeling this and I'm feeling this. 
and I asked them to respond. And this is what a mentor of mine gave me at some point in time. And I love that. Or, and that's okay. Like this is a pattern of mine that is just disturbing me so much. And I love that. Or, and that's okay. Or I release the need to shame myself for that. I release the need to belittle myself for that. I release the need to see myself as broken because of it. I release the need, you know, to see myself as less than because of it, which is the way you begin to engineer acceptance. There is no self-love without acceptance. The question that I usually invite people is, can you truly say that you love your joy as much as you love your pain? And when you are not at that level, you are just the fair weather friend to yourself. Can you be at a place where you are present and accepting of yourself when you are in pain as much as you are present and accepting of yourself when you are just killing it? Joyful, present, happy. Can you truly be at that place? And for so many people that are struggling with like codependent behaviors is they are not willing to be friends with themselves when they are in pain pain and they are there a lot of the time they are rejecting these aspects of themselves and they would rather shame themselves for it and they stay in that small spiral i feel bad and i hate myself for it i feel bad and i hate myself for it i feel this way and i hate myself for it and therefore there is no sustainable change that is happening in there But when you get to a place where you are able to meet your pain with a little bit more acceptance, and acceptance here is not complacency. Acceptance doesn't mean I am not doing something to change it. Acceptance is I am seeing it for what it is. And I am willing in this moment to allow it to be what it is for now. I'm seeing it for what it is. And instead of rejecting its nature, I am choosing to see it for what it is. And that's okay. And as I am allowing myself to see it for what it is, then I get to still do something about it. It doesn't mean that I'm going to get complacent and accept it as my nature, but I just see it for what it is, which is me hurting and not me being bad. Whenever we create a narrative uh, on top of the pain that we are feeling, we are anchoring suffering. I am hurting and I am bad are two different things. I am hurting is data, this is how you're feeling. I am a victim because I'm hurting is a story that you created. I am hurting is data, which is a state of emotional pain that you're acknowledging. I am a victim, you added a storyline on top of it. So getting to a place where you accept the the emotional data at plain value, I feel sadness, I am hurting, I am experiencing this, is the first thing. And really meeting that pain without adding a narrative, like I will never be loved, I will end up being alone all the time. And very often when I've worked with people that, are extremely codependent. This is the narrative. I'll end up alone. I just gonna be. I'm just gonna be alone my whole life. I'm gonna be abandoned once again. This is the narrative. 
So when you are willing to meet that and strip the pain from all the stories, when you're willing to strip the pain from the stories, you can fully alchemize that pain. So that first step of acceptance and radical honesty means meeting the raw expression of the pain and not creating a story, not creating a narrative. If you create a narrative, you might not be fully radically honest because it is the, the emotional experience is biased by your interpretation. And interpretations can, they can be off at yes. some point in time. And dangerous because I think like I, I've seen, I'll end up alone lead to either the person just gives every part of themselves away in an effort not to be alone, or they'll get ahead of it and say, you know what? I'm going to end up alone anyway. So F it. I'm not going to yes. be attached to anyone. I'm not going to be attached to anything. I'm just going to go out and kick ass and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So it's, it's really important to separate the storyline and the narrative from the data. And, and you, go ahead, please. No, no, no. Uh, I'm processing. You know, there, there, there is that other question, which is, what can I take responsibility for? And this one is a hard one. Like after you met the pain with like acceptance, compassion, and just like after you met the raw reality of how you are feeling, or not the stories you're telling yourself about the pain, but how you are really feeling. And then you ask yourself, what can I take responsibility for? This is the question that brings you back to a place of choice. This is a question that brings you back to a place of feeling empowered. This is a question that brings you back to a place of feeling like you have the capacity to choose your experience, which is what can I take responsibility for? I take responsibility for the way I behaved. I take responsibility for the way I showed up. I take responsibility for the expectations that I didn't say. I take responsibility for the needs that I didn't um, completely vocalize. I take responsibility for the, the boundaries that were missing. I take responsibility for this, 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 and that. And taking responsibility for, and for anything brings you at a place where, okay, if I take responsibility, I'm also taking the power to change at the same time. This is what taking responsibility gives you. Taking responsibility doesn't mean taking the blame. It also gives you the power to change. So meeting that pain, and I often say meeting the victim with compassion is the first step because you get to that place where you meet the part of yourself and you're just like, I'm sorry this happened. I'm sorry, blah, blah, blah. I'm sorry this was hurtful. Are you willing to come along with me? I'm taking responsibility for this, 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 and this. And therefore, because I'm taking responsibility for all of that, it is in my hand, meaning it's something that I can mold into a new expression of power. Taking responsibility also gives you power to change. You cannot change a story that you disown. When you take responsibility for the story, when you take ownership to a certain degree for the story, you have the capacity to change. You have the capacity to rewrite the story. And very often when I work with people that have a really low level of like self-love and they are very codependent, very often their needs are not spoken. Very often their boundaries are not clear. Very often they have expectations that are not spoken. Very often they are holding on to disappointment that they're not going to voice. Very often they are, they are suppressing their voice to a certain degree. 
very often they have desires that they are not even going to allow themselves to speak into existence because they feel like they shouldn't be taking a lot of space. And very often behind it, there is just a child that went through a deep amount of emotional neglect. And that emotional neglect, when you are willing to work through it, it gives you the possibility to feel more empowered to show up differently in your life. So emotional neglect for people that are highly codependent because they needed to caretake, they needed to do something in order to receive love in in return. That love wasn't just handed to them by a loving caregiver. They needed them to do something, to behave in a certain way to receive love. Working through that emotional neglect is very important in order to feel empowered again. I love the line of, you know, taking responsibility is not taking blame. It's actually taking yeah. power. Yeah. Okay. So Xavier, I, uh, I, my hand is tired from taking notes um, because I, I can't, I really hope people heard this in the way I did. I, if you said about reaching one person, then you succeeded in myself. Um, this is incredible. I, I know personally I have a lot to process with this. Um, before you go, Xavier, because I, I know I'm going to probably take you up on what I'm going to ask you to promote right now, but tell me about integrate your 12 week program, because I think Kelsey and I, are, we're, we're going to be oh, signing up. Oh, we're doing it. <laughs> um, but can you tell us about this? If, if, if you've listened to this show, you know, the best way, that's way we can give back to Xavier. I mean, he just gave his heart, his soul. This is years worth of knowledge and much more of, of his life experience that he's basically just given to all of us, you know, um, for free. He has, uh, I'm hearing he has a child, he's got a family he has to support and we need people like this to be able to have the means to continue. And the best way you can, we can help him back is to, you know, if, if we're in pain and we need help and we're of the means to sign up for his services and I know he does private life coaching, but I like this integrate 12 week um, group experience. I feel like this is like three months to a better you. I feel like this is self-contained and out of all the things I saw you're doing, I don't know why this one just seemed the most quantifiable spoke to me for people who just kind of want to get in there and make a big difference in a short amount of time. I just want to take a second to thank you, you know, first for having me here and before even talking about the services and stuff just you know to thank you for the work that you're doing with this podcast because this is what I needed like personally when I was feeling so isolated and I didn't know uh you know where to find that help you know podcasts went so much of a thing back in 2012 2013 There were a few, but like what you are bringing here is so potent. It's so important for people. So I just want to acknowledge that and even say thank you for the fact that you're willing to promote my work. What I can say about Integrate, it is really a group coaching experience where we get to dive in deep. Um, I've tried like some modalities that really didn't help me. Like I've tried to just like run away from what I was feeling within. It didn't work for me. And it was actually painful for quite a while to drag that emotional pain through my experience. And Integrate is a 12-week journey where I really dive in deeply with people. They're gonna, It's a small circle. Like 
Um, I am fortunate enough to have a team that is working with me to provide the, the utmost level of safety so that people feel empowered to share their story truthfully. So we work with a very small group for three months. We have weekly group coaching calls and stuff like this, but this is not really the most important. The most important is the process that I bring people through because we get to dive into all these dark places and we get to do serious shadow work because the parts of us that we usually disown, they do not go away. They run the show usually in the back, you know, in the shadow. And what I've seen in my own story is the more you are able to own and work through your shadows, the more you are able to take conscious leadership. And I often talk about this thing, leading from your heart and not leading from your wounds. For a long time in my life, I was leading my life from my wounds. I didn't have any relationships, like I wouldn't allow any friendships. And that was leading from the fear of getting hurt again. And I knew that, but I was leading from that place. So what we do is first doing all diving into childhood trauma and really working on shifting through inner child work. We also dive through the different archetypes that are usually running our lives. I'm talking about the pleaser or the prostitute archetype and how to shift from constant self-betrayal to get to a place where you are just looking at yourself with radical self-acceptance, like establishing a new degree of self-love within yourself. And the second part is really working on shifting deeply the child so that you can become a more sovereign adult and more sovereign being where you can meet yourself and take responsibility for your needs and even take responsibility for your dreams to a certain degree. Because very often that child within is the dreamer. That child within holds purpose. That child is the version of, is the part of you that is usually, you will see very often ch children, you ask them, what do you want to be as an adult? They are able to tap to that creative space. But we get, we get through this illusion that when you grow up, you need to bury the child. And that's not true in my experience. When you grow up, you get to lead the child. And the child needs to trust that you, the adult that you have become, you are able to take responsibility for all these needs and how to shift the victim consciousness and to get to a place where you are able to set boundaries, to get to a place where you are able to really be assertive and really get also to a place where you are, I want to say, alchemizing the saboteur within you especially for people that are out there that would like to create something. Like I have been sabotaging this work that I'm doing now for years. And I was like receiving the impulse. I should be doing this. I should, you know, get my training to be able to do this. And I was like, no, who am I to think I can do that? Or oh, I need to know step one, step two, step three, step four, step a hundred before I, I can take step one. I wasn't willing to surrender and to trust that I actually have something to offer. So getting to a place where you learn to work a little bit more intuitively and to trust your own guidance is also something that we do. And integrate is a container where I really give people time to be seen in a circle that feels safe. Like this is a place I really put a high value on safety because I know safety and connection are prerequisites for deep healing and integration and transformation.
And so how and do we that, sign up for this too? Um, how do we sign um, up? In order to sign up for it, there is, um, we opened the, we, we are starting in April. Okay. We opened um, the page on my website where people can apply for Integrate. And we are going to start enrollment. Like the wait list is open. There is a, on my website, xavierdagba.com slash integrate. There is all the information about this package and people can, you know, tune in for that wait list there. We are beginning, you know, next week, we are starting the enrollment process to get people signed up in integrate. And um, the reason why we have that enrollment, that application is because I want to have people in the group that have already been kind of initiated to the work. Yeah. Yep. Very often when people come and work with me and there is some sort of foundational work that is missing, I know they're not going to have the biggest experience. Mm -hmm. And I've run this program already in enough time to see if I can make sure, okay, this person is attuned to things like meditation or is attuned to like working or has this kind of background and this foundational work, I can bring them to a bigger experience, a bigger shift, a bigger transformation. So if anyone is really willing to dive in in a way that they probably didn't experience before, I'm inviting them to reach, to go there. And I'm really confident about the transformation that they can experience xavierdogba.com we will put a link in the youtube uh page for the show as well as on the apple podcast page um i we are going to speak to well i'm sure i'm hopefully again you'll come back and talk to us i think there's reparenting is an episode i think there's one on shadow work and um i love what you're doing and i know behind the scenes i'm going to champion you and i and my wife who created this show because it really was her intention. She went through yeah. a brain tumor and went on a journey to do a lot of work on herself and learn a lot. And it just came back to her like, this is the show I want to do. I'll spend money. I'll put in all my time. I don't care. That's going to be my greater purpose than no disrespect to being on the red carpet. She'll still do that when and if she's asked, but this is really what, uh, so she's, so anyways, you credit me, you're crediting really her because this was her vision. I've been a facilitator as this Kelsey, but thank yeah. you, Xavier. And I consider you such a friend now. And, um, and I can't wait to do more with you and I can't wait to share you, uh, with the world. Um, you're very special. Just please keep up the great work and know we're always here for you too. It's a deep honor. Honestly, I'm getting shivers as you're speaking. Mm -hmm. And, um, I wish I had the chance to speak with Maria because, um, the work that you guys are doing is fantastic. And I hope she can hear that um, some way. She will. Um, so thank you so much for just having me. And I am just humbled that I get the chance to share what I do with you guys and with all your listeners. Thank you. As are we. And yeah, next time will be, yeah, I can't wait to get you with Maria. So thank you. So Kelsey, um, I, I don't know. Uh, yeah. I'm processing I'm, all of this. I was going to say I'm the same way. Um, it's hard after an interview like that. Like I need to read my notes. I need to sit with them. I need to listen again. It's a, it's a lot. I, you know, I feel like an interview like this, you may have to listen to a couple of times, yeah. take notes 
And maybe the first go of it, you're taking notes, so you're not really processing, but you'll process a little bit subconsciously just taking the notes. And I think then the, the, the second time you can review the notes or you can just listen mm-hmm. and allow it to sit. But um, I, uh, what really, st- st- I mean, the, so much stood out to me. So I can't even say there's one thing that the, the trauma informed perspective, I think, is plaguing all yeah. of us, yeah. including me. What really spoke to you, though? Oh, man, a lot. Um, I really liked the part about breaking habits um, and talking about getting intimate with the trigger. I thought that that was really cool, Um, like learning how to disrupt. um, So you get the trigger and then like, you know, wait, why? What am I feeling like right right now? Right. Because I have so many habits and like I can tell you like for one now, I am the worst late night snacker in the whole wide world. And if I'm hungry, I'll snack. I'm all about it. Yeah. But I like I started this habit and it, my mom and I were talking about it the other week and I kind of realized where it came from. It came from when like I used to live in an apartment where I like wasn't comfortable. So I would never go in the kitchen. So at night when everyone was asleep, I would go down the kitchen because mm. that's when I was comfortable. And so like it's formed this habit in me. And I didn't really realize until she and I talked it through, right? Brilliant. So him talking about that, I was like, holy cow, yes. How can I cure this? How can I stop this? And it's getting intimate with those triggers. And I was just like, oof. So that really hit me. Um, Shame preventing healing was big big for me. And then the fact that shame can either build your ultimate narcissist or your ultimate codependent. And it yes. makes sense that you could have siblings that are narcissists, mm-hmm. you know, and that you're the codependent. And so I think a lot of our flight attendants out there, as Anne Lamott would say, a lot of our heel squad who are the caregivers, I bet you anything, have narcissists in their family. 100%. And then if we peel layers away, it was a shame. Shame. There was a lot of shame yeah. in their rearing. I also... Huge. Yeah. Uh, and then what he quote, I loved him quoting Brene Brown, shame is telling yourself you're bad. And then, ooh, the do you love your joy as much as you love your pain? We are so, so many of us, and I think especially right now, we're so quick to jump to our pain, talk about this and complaining about the negatives. Like we love, when I'm thinking of someone we we know mutually who is complaining about a book being published and it got them all depressed and it triggered, and I was like, what? And I was like, but that person clearly is enjoying to be in pain. And a lot of us like, do that. Just read another book. Yeah. So that, oof, that yeah. was a good one. Yeah. So what else did you? Oh my gosh, you guys. I know lead from your heart, not from your wounds. That was his number one thing that I just, I, that we started the show with or Kev said in the intro that I love. Um, yeah. Because God. so many of us, our reactions are from our wounds. Right. Right. So reactionary. And it's like when you sit. Even, by the way, even some of the good things we do. Yeah. If we're hyper generous. Yes. yes. It's from, it's the... from wounds. Oh, this was another good one. <sighs> Whenever we create a narrative on top of suffering, then it anchors that suffering. So meet the pain without adding the narrative. Yeah. Like just so much. He's just. We may need a separate episode just on the best of Xavier Dogba. I think that. Seriously. I want to get him for. Um, a heal session. A heal on, session. Yeah. Yes, would be on wonderful. On Patreon. And I think another episode on reparenting. Yes. And another episode on shadow work. Yes. Um, please, you guys, we're we're really working hard to keep the keep the ship afloat without um, without uh, 
our beloved Maria here. So the best way we keep saying is to stay to help Maria right now and us is to stay with us. But then please tell friends to subscribe to our YouTube page and um, or subscribe yourself if you already haven't. Um, uh, I think for the amount of money, time, effort, work, and I really believe the value we're putting into this. Um, yeah, we don't have the subscribership. Mm-hmm. I think we should. So you only you can help with that. Um, and if there's things we can do better, then let us know. Because uh, Kaizen, um, yeah. about that philosophy is, you know, always getting better, always growing. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do have, uh, if you want to be more intimate with us, we have our Patreon community, which you can sign up for that. We have heal events. You get this content ad free. And um, that's where the, I think the heart and soul of the heal squat lives lives on the lives in patreon and and so it's a wonderful community that helps one another too i agree and i also i we never talk about this but we also have a facebook page and like i will post a lot of announcements not yeah, a lot you but know like, what you're right because facebook is is easily accessible and i know a lot of podcasts will refer to the page facebook page that's it and i do and i have to say when i first started people we weren't very active on there and it's been picking up and i really like it people are posting messages and just like connecting with each other i'll post if we have something going on with the show if we have to air it later i often post on there um so join that and it's just better together with maria and you have to answer a few questions and then i'll accept you but it's a really yeah that's a great idea because it's just easy it's easy and like it's easier to it's easier to communicate there right there's less steps involved exactly and like our goal with this is you move to Colorado and don't have a doctor or a dentist or whatever, you can post on there, yeah. ask the heel squad, anyone in Colorado, can I, like, you know, so that's our goal. Even just asking for prayers or Anything. if you're if you're in a dark spot uh, or, or you want even career advice. And I, and I have to say, I need to be going on the Facebook page more. In fact, I don't even think I've ever been on there. I'll help you. Not a good, not a good AP elect. It's certainly an not admin. a good backup quarterback. <laughs> but I'm the old man. I'm just supposed to hold the fort down. I show all the busts. I show you the Wow, you are, like the, you are the rookie star. Uh, okay, you guys. Um, Kelsey, until then, what? Oh, you guys. Until then, be nice people. Make good choices. Follow us on Instagram. Subscribe on YouTube. Follow Xavier. And be present. And go to the Facebook page, too. Yeah. <laughs> and share it with some friends. Okay, we love you guys. Thank you. Hey, Hill Squad, we have been on quite the journey together, and we're hearing from so many of you just how much this show is helping you heal and get better, and it makes us feel so good. We love, love, love it, and we just ask that you don't keep it to yourself. Spread the message and share the show or your favorite episode with your friends. And if you want to help us even more, you can leave us a five-star rating and a comment on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and follow us on Instagram at Heal Squad. You can also DM us anytime because we love connecting with you. And finally, you can also join us on Patreon for our monthly live heal events with world-class healers and ad-free episodes exclusive only to Patreon and our Super Heal Squad for as little as $10 a month. So go to patreon.com backslash heel squad to join. Getting better isn't easy, friends, but as I say all the time, it's a whole lot easier if we can do it together. We love you all so much, and we love doing this thing called life with you.